The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? That's such a good illustration of how unique every person is and all of our lived experiences and how much they shape us and therefore this this ideal of you know whether it's relationship style monogamy open whatever or um, who we should be with and how we should be with them there isn't this one size fits all everything is up for negotiation and it's a moment to moment thing That was a quick clip from this week's episode with my dear friend, Angel. I'm so excited to have her on to talk about all things relationships and cultivating more love in our lives. Right now, that is definitely a theme for me. I loved sitting down with her. If you recall, she was on Recovering From Reality around episode 50. So in the early, early days of recovering from reality, her voice is just so soothing, but she has a wealth of knowledge for you guys in this episode. It is truly profound. Even Sadie, my assistant who helps me with editing, listened to this episode and she messaged me and she was like, Alexis, this is so, so good. So I will keep this intro short for this week. I hope that you guys are having a wonderful start to your Monday, hopefully better after this episode. And with that, here is my dear friend, Angel. I'm so excited to unpack going on your podcast. I just had this moment. Her podcast is called Awakened Love, by the way, you guys, you should go over and listen. That conversation that we had was so enriching for me. And I feel like the audience is really going to benefit from hearing this. Mm. So today, what I want to focus on is just that, like, how do we awaken love? How do we unpack our unconscious and subconscious beliefs around sexuality? How do we have an enriching sex life? How do we have enriching relationships with ourselves and with others? But Mm. before we dive into that, you made a post the other day on Instagram (laughs) that I reposted because it was so good. And I want to open this episode with this because I feel like anytime we start talking about sexuality, it is really triggering. (laughs) It is so triggering. And I think a lot of people feel this desire to pull back. And what I'm going to request is that the audience takes a deep breath with us. So let's do that. And that we get really grounded and that we have a willingness to stay here. And to be here for the next 45 minutes as we begin to unpack. But you made this post. It says, newsflash, it's not my job to please you. 
It's not my job to make you comfortable. I don't owe you pretty or nice or warm and fuzzies. No woman, no person does. You might love my teachings and not agree with my politics. You might adore my imagery but renounce my spirituality. You don't have to agree. My job is not to be agreeable for you. Do I have a deep well of love and acceptance within me that allows me to hold people in the way that I do carved out from my experience of pain? Absolutely, I do. I sit with people in the darkest of places without looking away, filled with nothing but absolute love and reverence. But also, if you come for someone I love, I am a warrior, not an angel. I have crystal clear boundaries and I'm not afraid to show someone the exit when they try to step on them. I don't need to be cuddly and nice all the time. I'm okay with the full spectrum of my nature. Or in the wise words of Meredith Brooks, I'm a bitch, I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm a mother, I'm a sinner, I am a saint, and I do not feel ashamed. Ladies and gender nonconforming people, despite all of our conditioning, it is not our jobs to please everyone. I love that because I feel like when I came out... All of the people that, and I say this on a regular basis, do not put me on a pedestal. Just because I'm a recovered person doesn't mean that my journey isn't ever evolving. And I think people saw this picture perfect, in quotes, family, mm. that in this world that I had built up around myself in recovery, that, that people idolized that. And mm. then when the second my family got messy... The second that I really allowed my authentic self to come forward, so many people were disappointed Mm -hmm. and angry and filled with shame. And I just feel like going back to what I was saying before, unpacking sexuality is such an important thing. We all have to do this work Mm. because we've all been so programmed and conditioned to believe in monogamy and the secular family and all of these things that that is the, how would you put it? Like that is like the gold standard (laughs) for everyone. And it's not. Yeah, absolutely. My love. I think that when who we are starts to poke holes in people's projections of us, Things can get messy if people aren't in a certain level of awareness and self-responsibility. And I mean, we see that in our individual relationships. Like one of my teachers calls the honeymoon phase the projectional love phase Mm. because it's when we're not necessarily loving the person in front of us. We're creating this fantasy of who they are. And then things get rocky in relationships, whether it's friendships, whether it's coaching relationships, whether it's our therapist. If we put anyone on a pedestal and fantasize about the perfection of who they are, their humanity will eventually poke holes in that projection. And then we're stuck with reality. And and then the question is, what do we do with the truth? (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think in 2021 (laughs) that so many people are walking around sexually repressed? Wow. It's a legacy of 5,000 years of patriarchy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I think that we are, uh, it's the greatest time ever to be a woman or a gender non-conforming person. And yet, you know, we are just starting to wake up out of thousands of years of patriarchy and sexual repression that comes along with that. And so it's really just this programming that's placed inside of us 
you know, and I think that we each have a responsibility to look at that programming and then how that that uh, affects how we interface with the world and fellow human beings. And it's a sticky topic. And the reason it's sticky is because most of us didn't get safe and honoring space as children when it came to exploring our sexuality because our parents didn't get that. Mm. So as soon as you see your child starting to explore and express their sexuality, which we do from a really young age, it's, it's inherent in our nature. Yeah. That's what's so interesting is that I think as an adult, it felt so foreign to me because it was so repressed. Even though I was sexually abused throughout my childhood, I repressed my own needs and desires because I viewed them as dirty as a result of the programming. Yeah. And I and I grew up in a pretty sex positive household. I mean, nothing like the way that I'm raising my children now. Yeah. So for me to say that, I can't imagine what the rest of the world is like. Yeah. And just exposure, you know, like if we don't have safe and honoring space, which as you bravely shared your, your story of abuse and sadly that is far more common than is anywhere near okay, you mm -hmm. know? And so what does that create? That creates a legacy of shame and repression and disconnection. If you have experiences like that, as I'm sure many people listening have, have had, you know, experiences of abuse or neglect or even just boundaries being crossed or, you know, somewhere on that spectrum, our body can feel like an unsafe place. Our sexuality can feel like an unsafe place. You know, also, on the other end of the spectrum, there's like if we're in our wild woman essence and we accidentally hurt someone, you know, mm. if we're not taught about communication and, and repairing ruptures, it's like all of a sudden there's just this big mess around sex and it all feels very complex and very unsafe. And most of us don't have the tools to, to reestablish that safety. Yeah. Um, and if we don't have safety, we can't have deep access. And if we don't have deep access, we can't have transformation. And yeah. so the cycle goes on. Because this is so much more than sexuality. This is boundary setting. This is healing. This is finding wholeness again. This is exploration. This is willing to be uncomfortable. This is the full spectrum of life yeah. in this. Desires. That's mm -hmm. a huge one for women and gender non-conforming people. We're taught not to, to want you know, to mm. to put up with discomfort, not necessarily in the, the positive discomfort for growth, but to just kind of go along to get by. And so for, for a lot of women and gender non-conforming people to have the opportunity to say, wait a minute, what do I actually want? That can be scary, you know, for a lot of people programmed to not think about their own desires. And then, and then all of a sudden we have this weird association with our desire, that our desires aren't safe and not to be trusted, where I think Glennon Doyle said that the blueprints of heaven are hidden in the deepest desires of women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I spent, I mean, my whole life up until my partnership with Evan having unfulfilling, very scary, very not healthy sex. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't really until I found him as a partner that I, and it wasn't until many years into our marriage mm -hmm. that I felt safe enough to say what I needed. And I think the first one was, and this is so interesting, and I've talked about this with Chris, who's here <laughs> reading a book, mm -hmm. is that I 
for example, because of my sexual abuse and um, I was raped again at 17 and I had this like phobia of being kissed when I, like I felt like I was suffocating when a man would kiss me during sex. Mm. It took me years into my marriage just set that boundary to mm. say, I can't, when you kiss me when we're having sex, I feel like I'm suffocating and it sends me into a trauma response and mm. I can no longer enjoy this experience. Mm. And what's so interesting is finally really healing, which um, I think the last kind of chapter of healing my sexual abuse was coming to terms with my sexuality and saying, I'm gay, like really gay, need to be with women. And, you know, we've unpacked that on the podcast by this episode, so we don't need to go back into that. But being with women, I feel okay to like kiss during sex. I feel like I'm fully able to explore in a way that I just never could with men. Yeah. And that's such a good illustration of how unique every person is and all of our lived experiences and how much they shape us. And therefore this, this ideal of, you know, whether it's a relationship style, monogamy open, whatever, or um, who we should be with and how we should be with them. There isn't this one size fits all. Everything is up for negotiation and it's a moment to moment thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you might feel one way today and like one thing today and then tomorrow something changes. And I think that's the greatest practice we can really get into for ourselves and the people that we love, especially those that we share sexual space with, is just being in the honoring that moment to moment. A, we're never going to know someone fully because we won't know ourselves fully. So give them permission to change. And B, I don't, you know, I don't almost don't think you can over communicate, really getting into that habit of like, is this okay? And, and attuning and really feeling someone's body and checking in with them so that there's this really deep energy of safety so that we can have these really revelatory, dare I say, transcendent experiences because Sex can, it, it is a dial-up connection to God. Yeah. Our bodies are, are and can be if you believe in God or universal love, but these transcendent states that we can experience through connection really only happen when we have that safety. And from my perspective, to have that safety, we have to give ourselves and each other permission to change. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Saqqara. Feeling your best starts with what you eat. Saqqara helps you to not just eat healthy, but truly enjoy it with their chef-crafted, plant-rich meals that build a foundation for radiant health. You guys know that I'm a big fan of Saqqara. I've done their little resets several times. It's a great way to get in more veggies and to feel good from the inside out. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic, ready-to-eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to minimize your sugar cravings, boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. Sakara's chef-crafted breakfast, lunches, and dinners are backed by cutting-edge nutrition science to boost your health and stoke your glow. And it's delivered fresh to your door anywhere in the U.S. Along with the delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience their best-selling Metabolism Super Pack 
powder and metabolism super bar to control sugar cravings, reduce bloating and boost energy and reduce fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop and the New York Times. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com forward slash reality or enter code reality at checkout. That's Sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash reality to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash reality. Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? I know that for me, a lot of my past got in the way when it came to wanting to create the future that I desired. I needed to clear that stuff out and I needed to do that with the help of a therapist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. The service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise that you need online. Don't limit yourself to the counselors located near you. Licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief and self-esteem are available to you now. Anything that you share is confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. And as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash recovering. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash recovering. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. I had the most insane experience. Chris came to stay with me last week, and after she left, I had a full-blown kundalini-like awakening Mm. after she left. I thought I was on ecstasy. It was like the most insane. And I was like, oh my God, no. Like my root chakra just fully like sent energy up in a way that I have never experienced before. I mean, talk about transcendent. <laughs> you you had said something a second ago though that was so interesting. You said we need to be able to fully allow our partners to explore and to explore with our partners. But before you even get there, you have to be willing to explore with yourself first. Totally. So I guess we should talk about like, what are kind of the first steps when it comes to unpacking our sexuality and our sexual desire? 
Yeah, well, I guess kind of the, the area that I, I focus on specifically is body-based healing for spiritual women and gender non-conforming people. So when someone comes to me and they're in that space of desiring to expand their connection to themselves and their bodies and therefore their pleasure and their sexuality, um, it really depends on the person. But I would say, I mean, that you've heard me already use the word a lot, is that safety and establishing safety in the nervous system has to come first. And that can look very different for everyone because we're all experiencing such different levels of safety in our system. So for people listening, something that's a big clue is usually how often do I feel unsafe when I'm actually safe or relatively safe? That's like a nice indication to start to become aware of like how programmed is my nervous system to hold and support safety. And then ritual space, like I'm big on pleasure practices, ritual um, somatic work. So it's like getting into creating safe spaces, whether mm-hmm. with a therapist, a coach, a facilitator, or yourself, starting to make that a priority. Like, okay, I'm going to set up intentionally a space that makes me feel safe. And then the second thing is I'm going to register that safety. So I'm going to use this beautiful brain uh, of mine to work with me instead of very often against me. And I'm going to say, okay, you know, simple questions we can ask to start to train our nervous system to register more safety is just what is safe about this moment now? Maybe three, four times a day if you are in safety, right? You want the alarm to sound if you're not safe. That's important. (laughs) But the issue most of us have is that it's sounding all the time when we are actually safe. And then that creates the issue or the disruption when we desire to relax into sexual connection or connection even just with our bodies, Um, whether that's breath work or meditation, movement, sensual you know, massage, anything. It's like there has to be that baseline of safety and it can be tricky. So for anyone listening, if they start to realize through this, like, whoa, I feel unsafe most of the time, that's okay. You can train. We all have neuroplasticity, you know, with a healthy brain, we all have the capacity to start to shape and shift this. And then I think just making the time beyond creating those safe spaces, it's like, okay, to ask the question and then create the experience of, what do I want? What do I really want in this moment now? And that can feel like a big and overwhelming question if we've spent our whole life avoiding it or being taught that we shouldn't want or that our wants don't matter, that our desires don't count. Or if we've been having straight heterosexual sex our whole lives. Yeah. And that's the narrative, right? Like this is what's done and and then it can feel really... This is just the way that it is. I can't tell you how depressing it was when one of my girlfriends was like, my husband just makes me have sex with him you know, every single night during the week and it's quick and he just throws on some lube, has sex with me for like two or three minutes and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, and she's had four children with him and I'm like, oh, I can't imagine living and being that sexually unfulfilled. Yeah. And just, I think that also comes back to, yeah, not feeling willing to speak up, not yeah. feeling willing to claim our desires. Not knowing how to advocate for ourselves. Yeah. And not knowing our anatomy. A lot of the time it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Just just not understanding, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that for most people with a pussy, not, not everyone and every moment is different. I don't know if that's okay for me to use the word pussy yeah, on the podcast. Fine. But, Why not? <laughs> um, it's just, you know, there are two words that speak for the entirety <laughs> of, of anatomy. Yes. And the other one is actually stronger. So we'll go with pussy. People with a pussy, most of the time, and again, it's not always, but it takes anywhere from 20 to 60 minutes to reach full engorgement. 
Mm-hmm. And full engorgement is when the labia, the clitoris, everything is flushed and filled with blood. And so it's like getting an erection, like women or people with pussies get erections as well. We yep. get filled with blood. And when that happens, so much of our arousal anatomy and our pleasure potential mm-hmm. then gets activated. 20 to 16 minutes of foreplay in or, you know, contact or kissing or whatever it is, yeah. whatever turns you on, different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. But it can take time. And so... Uh, In Tantra, you might say that that is a yin arousal network. So you need to kind of circle from the outside, which might be thoughts, emotions, Mm -hmm. environment. So much of sex happens before the sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I can't remember who said it. It's like everything in life is about sex, except for sex. Sex is about power. And Mm. (laughs) I can't remember who said that, but it feels, if it can feel true, it's about connection, of course, as well. But that tension, healthy tension, you know, too much tension, the guitar string breaks, not enough tension. It's the string. It's not, there's no music to be played. And so I think sex, um, especially whether it's alone or with with other or others, is about healthy tension, which requires a lot of presence, moment mm-hmm. to moment. Like, where is my edge in this moment, which requires a lot of communication. And I think that's why relationships and and sex are such a powerful path for spirituality and awakening from my very biased perspective because it requires so much presence and most people are not willing they're like that sounds like too much present. I mean, in life, right? Most people are not willing to be present. They're like, mm-hmm. can't someone else do it? <laughs> can't the media or the government or whoever just tell me what to do and I'll just fall in line and I'll just follow because it's like mommy and daddy, that kind of unintegrated inner child is is hijacking their system. And that part of us wants someone else to do it, right? Whether someone's going to come and sweep you off your feet and love you, all the parts of you that you refuse to love, or you're going to win the lottery ticket, or like something is going to happen. The silver bullet's going to come along so that you don't have to make the decisions in life or have presence or have responsibility to respond with ability. Um, And I think that shows up in sex a lot, which is kind of this malware or this like diseased aspect of human consciousness. So for me, the unpacking really took place in my therapist's office, you know, I, I, it started with, Hey, I've had a lot of sexual abuse and I need to like work through this to then finding a partner where I felt, you know, pretty safe with to start exploring my sexuality and my own desires to then, you know, really taking a deep dive into spirituality and doing a lot of healing there. And then I kind of had this moment when, you know, you said, what do you want? And what I wanted was an open marriage and Mm. was, I mean, and that's a huge ask from a partner, but I can't tell you how many women have been in my DMs since coming out saying, I need that. I need to be with women. I need to explore this part of my sexuality. How do I do it? Yeah. And so I guess the next part would be whatever the circumstance may be, say, you know, you're just needing more fulfilling sex or you're needing whatever you're needing from your partner. How do we take those next steps and how do we communicate our needs in an effective way? 
Yeah, I think that um, what you did by finding a safe space to unpack that with a therapist or a coach or someone who can help you and, and hold that safe space for you to say all the things you need to say, which you might not necessarily say to your partner, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like the, let the messiness yes. come out and let it all unfiltered. You need that safe space. And then once you kind of feel a little clearer, that helps you get clarity of like, what's real here? What's my childhood wounding? What's my you know history of abuse? Like what's real here? Here, what's true that that coming to that place of like this is what I want then you're clear I think that's totally step one yeah. safe supportive space gaining clarity on what you want and then I think yeah making an appointment it sounds like really silly and weird yep. I say that all the time make an appointment yeah. don't ever bring anything to your partner that's even remotely heavy without making an appointment first. Yeah. Talk about nervous system regulation. Like we are also responsible for other people's nervous systems. And yep. it is imperative when we have something heavy that we need to talk about that even with my children, I, you know, I say, you know, I need to talk to you about your grades. How are you feeling right now? Let's mm. do a little check-in. Are you able to talk to me about this before I just lose it on, you know, about the you know, bad test or whatever it might be. 100%. Because if we're thinking about like, okay, what's the, the end goal here? Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing. Like, okay, is what's my intention here? And therefore, does that require a bit more patience and presence, which might require me to say, hey, is now a good time to talk about X? And if not, like, when can we make time to talk about X? And that's like a level of honoring for your partner. And, you know, I can't remember who said it, but someone said like, you, you can't just go in and switch someone else's movie off and switch your movie on, like whatever they're thinking about, whatever state they're in, and then expect that they're going to be right with you where you mm, are. And then I love that. <laughs> That's so good. It's yes. like, you might be watching a deep suspense filled drama and they're, you know, halfway through a comedic reality show and they're mm -hmm. just like not on the same wavelength. And again, that's not in alignment with your end goal or your ultimate intention. And then the other thing, like once it is time to talk about it, is to state that intention. My intention with sharing what I'm about to share or having the conversation I'm about to have is X. You know, is the ultimate intention that we grow stronger, that we feel more connected, that we have like whatever, like the shared intention, not just for yourself, but also your partner or, you know, if it, there might be conflict, like what do you agree on? Start with that. Start with we both agree on this or, you know, like I'm holding this vision for us so that you can set the tone. And then, you know, the basics of conscious communication, people listening may know this, they may not. We're definitely not taught in school, so it's worth repeating. Um, X, Y, Z sentences are great. You know, when you do X in situation Y, it makes me feel Z. So I would prefer uh, like this and making requests instead of complaints. That's like an ultimate thing in a relationship. If you can master turning every complaint before you even express it into a kind and useful request, ooh, baby, will your relationship yeah, shift. The shift, yeah. yeah. And then just um, helping your partner see and that it's not it's not about them, which is so hard in relationship. Like, Especially, I think, well, it really, I've had not bad, but not great sexual experiences with women too. But I think especially in like heterosexual relationships, like men aren't taught how to have good sex. Oh, they're just no. not. Yeah. Unless they take an interest in that. It's because of uh, porn, right? Like most, not all porn, There, there is some porn that's like women led or gender non-conforming person led. And there's like, a, you know, there's uh, ethics and values and and kissing and touching and foreplay and all these things instead of just penis and vagina, penetrative, repetitive, 
hardcore lacking foreplay sex and then women feel and men feel like if that's not what's happening then there's something wrong with me you or our relationship and then we feel defective and broken then we feel shame then we are in silence and then the cycle continues because if we're in silence we can't grow you've got to be able to talk about it in order to grow through it and so then then the tricky part is okay, can we remain in our mature adult? Because this is the mastery in the dojo of relationship, right? One partner must be in their mature adult at all times. And it doesn't happen that way, right? We both slip into unintegrated child and then shit hits the fan and that's conflict. So notice if this is really what you want and you're wanting to open up your relationship or at least open up the discussion, A, don't assume that your partner doesn't want to either, right? That's the important thing to consider. Hang on a minute. Maybe they have different desires that they're not expressing. Can I create a space in which we can just talk about what we want? And if their desires are different to mine, can it be a safe space where we can actually address the fact that we don't have to agree in order to connect? Yeah, so really noticing as well, picking up the cues. If your partner's revving at a six or a seven, stop the conversation before you get to an eight, nine or 10. Come back doesn't all have to happen today. Mm-hmm. We don't have to resolve everything today. Be conscious of, of nervous systems. And I think, yeah, using language that doesn't invite defense. So instead of being accusatory, let's say like, you don't meet my needs or you never do X and I always do Y, really avoid the words never and always. They are going to trigger someone's defense. If you're telling someone they always do something, the truth is they don't always do yeah. something. <laughs> I, I always encourage people to say, I'm noticing a pattern mm-hmm. in our relationship that's making me feel blank. Yes. Yes. And give them the specific scenarios, even if it is a repeating situation. It's easier for someone to, uh, someone's. it's like a, a much easier way to get around defenses and get to the truth. Like, okay, when we get home or when I get home from work, and you don't greet me, it makes me feel like you're not happy that I'm home. It makes me feel like I'm not welcome in this space. It makes me feel whatever it is it's making you feel. Then it's like you're taking responsibility for how you feel and you're being really clear about the situation. So that's a repeat, that could be a repeated thing, but then your partner can meet you there. They can go, yeah, I can, can understand how that, that might make you feel. And so if it's about kind of being with other people, like delicate subject, right? Kind of just really gently like opening someone up. If And if they're not sure or they feel triggered, just like honoring that. Like, can you tell me how you feel right now? It looks as though I feel as though you're shutting down. Do you feel open? Do you feel closed? How can I support you right now? So a lot of the time in relationship, we're all just trying to get our needs met and we're just projecting our needs onto each other in an unconscious way. But the 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 idea of conscious relationship is essentially to reparent each other. Like that's the ultimate goal is like, oh, wow, my partner's in shutdown right now and they're in their little boy or little girl or little gender non-conforming being. What would they need right now? What are the words that they would need, their heart would need to hear to open them, to heal them? Like what didn't they get that created this pattern that they're now reliving as an adult that I could in this moment support them to heal? Now it isn't our job to heal our partners. It's not the same thing. And yet we do heal in relationship. Yes. I think it's so interesting because we're so, we live in this world of (laughs) self-help. It's like, help yourself. Yes. But we actually heal in relation to one another. And so it's really important. 
that when we have these conversations, we realize that the other person is also on their own healing journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time that your needs don't have to fall by the wayside in order to help that person or to be in relationship with that person. Yeah, that's a really big one. Realizing like, okay, let's say I'm desiring an open relationship and my I'm worried my partner won't and they're going into shutdown, the assumption might be, well, I need to shut down and defend because this is what I want. And if I don't do that, then I'm not going to get what I want. But actually, can I hold my partner in their closing and still not, that's not the same thing as passivity or giving up mm-hmm. what you need. Um, and I think just starting slowly and exploring together, staying on the same team, Like even, that's what I say to my partner all the time. It's like, even when we're disconnected, even when we're fighting, can we be on the same team? Yeah. To be on the same team, you have to have a shared vision, Mm -hmm. which is why you have to start the conversation with what is the shared intention for having this conversation. And I think the really big thing that people misequate is that if you want to be with someone else, that means you love me less. That isn't necessarily true. And sometimes helping our partner see or understand that me wanting apples doesn't mean I love peaches less. Me wanting this thing, that's kind of like this scarcity mentality around love. It's like every time you tell your mom you love her, you don't love her less. It's not like the love tank is like ticking down. It's like every time, you know, the love that you have for your partner can continue to grow, even as you maybe have love for other people. So perhaps you, you can explain it to them about friends. Like I love lots of people, I don't love this friend less because I made a new friend and I'm falling in love with that person. Yeah, it's if, if when we start to think about it and really ask those questions, we can start to see that these layers of defense are so connected to shame and really not at all connected to logic and ration usually. But yeah. we've got to be patient with people. Which is why I think so many people just stay in monogamous relationships is because we really, we feel like that the love is going to run out somehow. And I just have to say that since opening my marriage, the love has just expanded so much. I mean, my ability to love, I always knew was there, right? Because the perfect example, and I feel like I just keep saying this is like, just because I had another kid doesn't mean I love my first kid less. And, And actually it's brought me closer and I've had a different type of love for Evan, who is my anchor partner in this open relationship, a different type of love because he is honoring my needs so much that it is making me love him deeper. Yes. Because when you want your partner to just be themselves and to to show up in the world and you have their back in that and you're so supportive, the person on the receiving end of that feels invincible, feels Mm -hmm. expanded, feels grounded, feels bliss, like the ultimate bliss. And so by him holding space, by him being willing to explore this, by him encouraging me, I am loving him in a different way that I never even thought was possible on a deeper level And it's just such an amazing, an amazing thing. And it just shows you that love literally has nothing to do with sex. It really doesn't. Love is so much more than that. And I think that 
we equate love with this Prince Charming or this perfect girl or whoever it might be, this experience, rather than looking at it as this amazing, expansive, beautiful thing that it really is. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that's like the defining difference between a relationship or a conscious relationship, you know, and, and it's, it's the same uh, difference between how I would define, am I awakened or am I not awakened? Which is essentially just, am I committed to using everything in my reality and my entire life as a pathway to my highest evolution and, and hopefully enlightenment, like at least moving towards that through everything that happens or not? And therefore, am I in my relationship and supporting the healing of my partner? I can't heal him no matter how much I love him. He can't heal me no matter how much he loves me. He can't, you know, uh, fix if I have a, a complex of undeservingness, no matter how respectful he is, but he can create an environment, co-create an environment within which I can heal those things. And what I'm hearing you say is that you and your partner have co-created an environment in which each of you can do what you need to do as it changes and evolves to thrive, to heal, to be the truest version of yourself. And that's not always going to be the other person's agenda, right? And so, yeah, I think it's such a beautiful thing to realize that we can really be on this journey of walking one another home and that love doesn't necessarily mean what we thought it meant, that our relationships don't have to look how we thought they were going to look. And it's really a spectrum, you know, like I think that most of us, if we didn't grow up in a society of shame and repression, would be somewhere on the spectrum of exploration, I think, like LGBTQIA+. I, I, I 100% yeah. agree. I think that most people fall into our community rather than outside of it. I think that there are very few people who are just straight. Yeah. It's, it, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think that that, I mean, prior to patriarchy, we know that that wasn't the norm. It was some, you know, everyone was somewhere on the spectrum. And I think the same is for monogamy. Like even my partner and I, we recently had a conversation about, and, and I would still consider us monogamous. And so that's also the interesting thing because everyone means different things by this term. Mm -hmm. And what it, what it ultimately comes down to is what is the relationship you and your partner want to create? And for him and I, uh, one of my girlfriends at a, at a birthday party a few months ago went to kiss me. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I'm actually not sure how Patrick would feel about this because we haven't had this conversation for a while. So I would need to, as much as I would love to kiss you right now, that's not part of my agreement or I'm not 100% clear on that. So Patrick and I had that conversation. I was like, hey, um, now a good time to talk about me with other women. <laughs> and I, you know, I already know that there's like a level of trust. I know his, his level of trigger around that is not huge. So naming it that way wasn't too triggering. And kind of, we just had this really open conversation because I wasn't sure how he would feel. Um, and I didn't want to assume that's a big thing. Let's don't assume um, your partner feels whatever way, like just, if you can talk about these things, that's the other thing. Most of us assume we have the same definition of monogamy. Like many of us don't. Some people are like, oh, kissing's just like kissing. That's, but other people are like, flirting isn't monogamy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So have these conversations. And so for, for Patrick and I, our definition of monogamy is I can be with women, right? So that's probably a lot of people listening like, well, that's not monogamous. But for us, that is. That, that doesn't, that's just, you know, so everyone gets to define what's true for them. Can I unpack that with you a little bit more? Yes. 
Because Evan had feelings in the beginning of, well, do you want to be with men? Which I don't because I'm gay. But um, he had issues around the idea of me being with other men, but had no problem with being with other women. And I think that there's stuff there (laughs) um, for sure. And I don't really know exactly how to phrase it. And I don't really know exactly what it is. I don't label it as necessarily like sex. Hmm. It's hard to unpack because I feel like men don't see gay women as they see it as for their own pleasure and they don't really value lesbian or, or, or same sex relationships the way that they do heteronormative relationships. So I think that there's stuff to unpack there, but there's just so many layers there. Yes. Uh, Yeah, totally. And I think that, I think one of the things, because we've actually talked about this, my partner and I, um, about like, well, what's the difference there? And the thing that we both kind of came to is that because of our society's conditioning on men, usually they're less connected to their communication and their emotions not necessarily because they have a penis, but usually just because our society conditions men or people with penises to be less connected to their emotions, less in their vulnerability and less communicative. And so what that creates in this kind of scenario where you have more than one person's uh, nervous system and history and heart to consider is that sometimes and very often men or people with penises based on that conditioning can be less attuned. And it's not necessarily because of their genitalia. It's just because of the conditioning. And it's not always true, of course. It's a generalization. But generally, my lived experience is that women or femme identifying or people with pussies can be a little bit more attuned and communicative simply because there's less conditioning if you identify as that to talk. And then the result of that is a little bit more safety. And so Patrick's thing for me was he was like, my love, I trust you to choose because that was his big thing is like you're so discerning with your energy, with who you let in your life, with who who you even choose as friends that I trust you are going to pick epic human beings to have experiences with if that's something you choose to do. For us, it's about pre-consent. You know, if I'm feeling connected to someone, having a connection with someone and for him as well, because our only thing is truth. When we were first together, we were like, maybe, maybe we want to practice non-monogamy, but we kind of went through it and had a lot of discussions and we're like, seems like a lot of work. And it is right. For those listening, it is so much work, <laughs> right? We're building. It's so worth it. It's so fulfilling, yes, but yes. oh my God, it's so much work. Right. you got to have the space for it if you want to do it in a really conscious way. And the other thing I want to say is that you could have a really toxic monogamous relationship or non-open relationship. It's not about the relationship configuration. No, it's about the people in it. Yeah. And the awareness and the level of communication and devotion to hearts and consciousness and all of those things. So I think for people listening, there's like this assumption, if it's this type of way, then it's healthy and quote unquote, right. It's like, look around you. How many healthy? (laughs) Most people are getting divorced. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so also then that's another question like, okay, for people listening who may have had biases around like different relating styles, what if the difference was me or someone feeling totally unfulfilled and ending a relationship that otherwise could have been an incredible life 
partnership and conscious healing container. Yeah, but that's our thing is stay in the discomfort and let it, you know, I, I think a lot of people are so programmed to run from discomfort rather than to advocate for themselves. So then they keep attracting partners who maybe in the beginning do things different, but then always end up doing the same thing. Exactly. The universe always wants to teach yes. us our lessons. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, my, my advice would be to learn, go in, do the work and then learn how to communicate and advocate for yourself in a way that allows you to have a more fulfilling relationship. And listen, if you have a partner that is then, after you've done all of this work, continuously shutting down, not showing up, and just completely unwilling to meet you at that halfway point, then divorce is an option. Totally. But I, so I'm not saying stay with the person that's no. making you feel miserable, but <laughs> I just think so many marriages could, it's so interesting because wasn't it in the 60s that they were like having people do MDMA together, like married couples were like doing yes. ecstasy together yes. to like revamp their relationships. Yes. And so it's like, I guess what I'm, getting at is that the question, who am I and what do I want always is coming up for me. Yeah. And does my relationship empower me to mm -hmm. continue asking and answering those questions? That is the ultimate difference between a toxic relationship and a healthy relationship. Am I disempowered from doing my work? Because it's our work to do. That is the truth. Or am I continually supported and empowered to continually go deeper into who I am, the truth of my being and evolving? And we cannot judge what that looks like for any other being because we, those listening who are so against something, if they were in total allowance and presence, we don't know. You don't know how you're going to yeah. feel next week, next month, next year, based on the experiences you have. Non-monogamy, open relationships, all of that stuff is not for everyone. No. However, exploring your sexuality is a must. Yes. Healing, unpacking, exploring. To really live a fully fulfilled life, I think that we must do that work. And the good news for all of my listeners is that Angel is an amazing coach. <laughs> you can follow along with her Instagram and listen to her um, newer, newer podcast. Mm -hmm. You're only like 30 episodes in, right? Mm -hmm. um, Awakened Love. Um, I don't remember your Instagram handle. What is it? It's Angelica Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A. Lots yeah. of A's. <laughs> so you can go and follow her on Instagram. You can reach out if you're interested in coaching regarding relationships and sexuality and love and all of that good stuff. And yeah, when it comes to like healing subconscious belief systems and doing more unpacking, you can join us at the Life Reset course too. Thank you so much for coming out here today. This was amazing. Such a good talk. I love having you. You can also go back to episode 50 if you want to hear Angel on the podcast again. And until next time. Thanks, Mama. This week's affirmation is, I am in love with myself and my body. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor, follow along with us, leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 